Uh, we're in James uh, chapter 2 this morning, but I, as you turn there, I need to just give you a, a personal word here. So here it is. This, this may be the, the best part of the morning, at least it is for me. You need to know that I am so uh, grateful for you as a church family. You don't know how grateful I am. And um, I'm honored, I, and I tell this to Wanda all the time, it is an honor to open the scriptures and you receive with delight the word of God. I mean, you, you take it in and you don't go, oh yeah, so yeah, that's just what Dave said. You don't ever do that, at least not to my face, so don't start. <laughs> so, it's an honor to open the scriptures and I really love you. My heart's endeared to you. You've been, you've been kind to me and, and, uh, and when I think of of people who are in the trenches living the Christian life and not perfect like me, not perfect, but working at it, I think of you and I, I am grateful for you. And then when we send off the marks, and here's a guy with the Air Force One crew and leaving that, and uh, I can tell you this because take this off the tape, this shouldn't go online, but Imee gave me a tour of Air Force One, so I felt like, whoa. So I told my mom, because I want to be in first place again with my mom, because I'm always in competition, because I'm a middle child. And so my mom tells my sister, my sister says, oh, no way, there's no way he got in Air Force One, he didn't have the clearance, they wouldn't do that. I said, well, I did. She said, show me a picture. I said, well, I, you're not allowed to take a picture. She said, see, you never went on it. <laughs> the struggles in my life you know nothing about. So I say all that to, to say, I, you know, we have people like they're going to be going to serve with the Wilsons in, in Papua New Guinea. And, um, and the Wilsons, he, he's a helicopter pilot mechanic who then converts over to airplane, which I think is almost the same. It, it, it's the same, right? So it's really good stuff. And I'm thinking... What a privileged place to be and to serve and the influence you have for the kingdom and you have no idea. And I oftentimes, when I, when I get to connect with my older mentors, I, I feel like a little bit of Romans 16, and to you is nothing, but to me it's a real significant chapter in the Bible because that chapter, all the Apostle Paul does is list a bunch of names that you can't pronounce nor can I. And, and he says, I thank so-and-so and so-and-so in the house, that's in, the church is in their house and all these people. And he's giving all these different ethnicities, but, he's, but these, Rome's the power center of the world at the time. And yet people are coming and going because they're in business and th that church was never static. It was always in constant flow, depending on who was elected and who was an emperor and who was in charge and whatever. And that's a bit of the way I feel here. And so it's such a privilege. Even as I see people come and go, and I, you see, you know, I love you. I am so honored to open the scriptures. So, okay, let's dig in. Ready? James chapter 2 is where we are. And this book of James is, I've said this before, and the scholars tell us, this book of James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It offers great per, uh, uh, perception into our lives, kind of an insight that's eternal wisdom. And today we're going to enter maybe the toughest passage of the book of James. I'm not sure. He has a couple of them. But this one in particular is a really tough one. Maybe one of the tougher chapters of the whole Bible. Because when, when James talks about faith, you have to get a distinction when he talks about it as to, when other scholars, when other writers of the Bible talk about it. When, when, 
when Paul writes about it in Galatians or Ephesians, two other letters, he, he actually is defining the faith. If, you, if you're taking notes, just write the word defining the faith. And then what James does is he doesn't define the faith. He doesn't say Jesus died for our sins, but he was buried, he was rose again like Corinthians does. Instead, he describes the faith. He says, this is what this faith will look like when it's done, when it's in the process, okay? So it's different when you define it as opposed to when you describe it. And when people talk about faith, you ever had this happen? You have a, a show on TV and you're, you're watching it, and you're enjoying it, and some athletes come on, and they talk about faith, right? But they, the, oftentimes, if you watch college football, a college student will run right up to a camera on the sideline and go, I got faith, you know, like that, and then they scream, and then they go, hi, mom, I love you, you know, and, and then you go, okay, what's the faith in? And faith may actually be just a positive mental attitude, faith in themselves or in the team, or their coach, or whatever it is. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not faith that's going to get you into heaven, okay? Hope you get that down. I mean, they'd like to think that, but the other side of the line has faith too, you know, and they're praying to the same God you are. And, and so, I mean, oh boy, it's tough, isn't it? So sometimes you have to kind of watch that. And then, if you've ever been involved in contractual work, a contractor or a bank will make a statement to you, and they'll say, by the way, this is what we call a good faith estimate. I've come to realize that's a good faith guesstimate. <laughs> right? Have you ever had that? Because the number always changes. Right, you breathe, that's a change order. You know, and it's just, it's never gonna be the same number. So it's not, they mean well, but it's just good faith. And they don't really, they have good evidence for what they believe and what they're making the estimate on, but it's still going to be an estimate. So how do you know when people say they have faith that it's saving faith in Jesus Christ, the kind that Jesus talked about? How do you know that? How do you know that? Well, you say, well, I, how, would you, how would you demonstrate that? Well, I have a car. You, you have a car, right? Most of us have a car. You, you show faith in your car when you, you say, oh, I believe it can drive, I can go down the road, but not only that, I can actually stop when I need it to stop, too. So it can not only go, but it can stop. And the way you demonstrate that is what? You, you get in the car, and you drive around. If you didn't have real faith in the car, you wouldn't get in that car. I could drag a chair out here, and I could say, I believe in that chair, I put that chair together, I got it from the store, followed the instructions, those pictures, put all the screws where they belong, little bits of screw, doll rods, I believe that chair will hold me up. But what's the real test of faith? Sitting in the chair. Sitting in the chair, right. Same thing with a house. You can believe the house is, is a good house. Juan and I were watching a home improvement show, and, and as they walked into this house, there was this house that was about this big, but the whole first floor was like wide open. When the camera went in, I said, oh, that's not good. She said, why not? I said, I think it's a two-story house. I, I think they've taken every load-bearing wall out of the middle of that house. I wouldn't go in there. And by the break, guess what they were doing? Right, let's back out. Let's back out. Yeah, no one jump up and down because they could feel the floor flex. You wouldn't go in and live in a house like that. Not in good faith. See? So what is really saving faith? No, don't misunderstand. I'm not going to talk to you about today about a works for salvation. There's no such thing as a works for salvation. What I'm going to talk to you about is a proof of salvation. Okay? Now, from Ephesians chapter 2, here's what I read. And you're in James chapter 2, so just hang there. But in Ephesians 2, it reads, For by grace we're saved 
through faith. It's not of yourselves. It has nothing to do with you, okay? It's all what Jesus has done. It is a gift of God. What do you do with a gift? You just receive it, right? And then what do you, what do you say when you receive a gift? Thank you, yeah. Now, if you receive the gift and you hand them money, what's that? That's a purchase. If I receive a gift, run in the back room and, and then get another gift and hand back a gift, that's an exchange. It's a gift exchange. When you receive the gift and say thank you, that's a real gift. So by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It is not of works. Why? So no one can boast. No one's going to get into heaven and say, well, I really worked my nails to the bone. Yeah, I got in through sweat and hard work. No one's going to be able to say that when they get to heaven. Okay, so don't misunderstand that. Again, this is the definition. It is, but, but get this down. Once you, believe, you become a believer in Jesus Christ, what does God say? He says, and now we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So once you trust in Jesus Christ, now this gift of salvation is absolutely free. Now what's happening? Now, there's a work that God does in you. Now he's going to do through you to make this world a better place. And he has prepared in advance for you to even do those things. He's actually prepped your life to do that. Now, that's the difference between the definition and now you see a little bit of the demonstration or the description. So here's the issue. When I, as I read James chapter two, what I want you to remember is this. From 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I know I'm a long time getting to James two. We're gonna get there. But I did tell you it was a tough passage, and so we may not have time. Just kidding, we're going to get there. 2 Corinthians 13 says this, you examine yourself to see that you are of the faith. That's huge. That's big. That is huge. Examine yourselves to see whether you are of the faith and test yourself. Why? Because the, this is too critical. You're headed to a final exam, and the final exam depends on you believing in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, John chapter three says, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You already possess it. If you believe in Christ, you already possess eternal life. And, and you will not perish. You'll never, really, you'll never really spiritually die, although you physically may run out of steam. You'll, you'll change addresses, but you never really spiritually die. Now, you are headed to a test so you examine yourself to make sure you pass the test. Why is that? Because you only get the test once, okay? And that test comes at the moment you die. After that, the Bible says, is the judgment. Therefore, you want to pass the test. So what's today? The test? No. Today's kind of a pop quiz, okay? This is your chance because why? God wants you to pass the test. You get this? He doesn't want you to flunk the test. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to come to salvation. His word says that, and Jesus' demonstration, his efforts prove that. Some teachers wouldn't really care if you passed the test or not. I had a college prof once who said, you want to pass this course? I'll help you. You want to flunk? I'll help you do that too. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. There were, there were students running for the drop cards. You know what a drop card is in college? Like, get me out of this class. That prof was more than willing to flunk you if you didn't work hard. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I really want to pass you on this test. I want you to come to faith. But if your faith is dead or deceived, there's no amount of adjustment. If a body is dead, if a body is dead, you can crank air into it all you want. You can hook up circulation system to, to make the blood pump. But the reality is the body is dead. So don't think, oh, well, I'll just crank it up 
add some oxygen to my dead life? No, you'd be better off stopping, examining yourself, 2 Corinthians 13, and asking the Lord to give you new life in Jesus Christ. Now, there are three kinds of faith. Here we go. James chapter 2, verse 14. The, the first kind of faith is dead faith. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He says, what good is that? Can such faith save him? Another translation says, can that kind of faith save him? Okay. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, daily food, and if one of you says to them, verse 16, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He's saying this is dead faith. This is lip service. You're just saying be warmed, be filled. By the way, that go in peace is a doxology. That go in peace is like, oh, God bless you, because I'm not going to. That's really what that means. And that, by the way, if you go back and look at historical writings of this text, what they're going to find is this, that go in peace, keep warm and well fed, verse 16, went down to being God bless you as you go, and God bless you because I'm not going to, and it eventually became our shortened version of the words goodbye. You hear it in there? Okay, so the next time you say someone goodbye, it's like <laughs> you're on your own. That's what that really meant in their language. This is just lips, uh, uh, lip service, and it really isn't a lifestyle change, and it really isn't life, a life-giving, a life-giving, dynamic, life-changing kind of faith. And it has leaves. You ever seen um, uh, a shrub that has leaves, but then there's no fruit on it? That's what's happening here. And a, a, a real farmer will actually rip that one down, either prune it back or rip it down because it's not productive. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And many Americans will will try to produce some kind of leaf on their life through morality or tradition or family or customs or whatever, but it still doesn't produce fruit. It's all very nice. It creates a nice culture, a nice community. It just doesn't save you. It doesn't get you to heaven. True biblical faith is confidence in God, embracing Jesus, not only for forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven, and certainly that, but it's different because from now on, I am living a life of the just shall live by faith. I'm living a life of faith, Romans chapter one. Jesus explained that life was a life that was filled with compassion. It was a life that was driven to holiness and and had a moral compass of truth to it, the desire to, to do God's will, to know it and to do it. And no one gets it right all the time. Don't mean to announce like perfection out there, but but don't think that dead faith is going to do it it just won't cut it. There's another kind of faith that's going to do you no good too. It's called deceived faith. Pick up at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. So show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by, by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Well, good, James writes. Good. Even the, de- even the demons believe that and shudder. But what's he saying? He's saying even the demons believe that they're not going to heaven. Okay, you get this? This is deceived faith. James uses demons, and it's a little bit shocky when you think about it. It's certainly unsettling. Yeah, he, he, can, he cannot get a better witness of, well, we believe this stuff. See, believe, uh, demons actually believe God exists. They're theists at their heart. They actually believe Jesus existed. They believe that this, and the sonship of Jesus and the coming judgment. They believe in all that stuff. It just hasn't changed their lives. 
demons actually believe the Bible, and they know bits of the Bible because they use it on people. But here's where it stops. Demons don't take that knowledge and use it for good. It, it, it's knowledge, but it isn't life-changing. There's no energy or desire to change in life. There's no love for Jesus. There's certainly no forgiveness. There's no relationship. There is only rebellion, and they're using the truth. And, and you know what that is? That's just knowledge which just really puffs up and really doesn't change the heart. You've been around people like that who know a ton of Bible but really don't know Jesus. You've been around people like that who, who know an awful lot about all the rules and regulations of life but they don't have a tender heart to forgiveness in their own lives. That's a deceived kind of faith. But thank the Lord James doesn't quit here Verse 20, he tells us what a dynamic faith is. He says, you foolish person, do you want um, evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, and this is a story, an Old Testament story from the book of Genesis about the father of the nation of Israel called Abraham. He has a son named Isaac. Now verse 22. You see that his faith is, and his actions were working together. Get that? Faith and actions working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. That kind of faith touches every corner of Abraham's life. And he'll go on to illustrate this with another story of Rahab. By the way, who were Abraham and, and, and Rahab were totally different people. Male to female, Jew to non-Jew, um, a righteous man, unrighteous woman, you had an insider and an outsider, just totally outside. You can't believe how starkly the contrast is. And yet, James says, they have one thing in common. They both believed God and acted on what they believed. And because of that, they're in the great hall of faith. They're great people of faith. You see, this dynamic faith is based upon the word of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits, James chapter 1, verse 18. Faith is only as good as our object of our faith that we place in Jesus Christ himself. So when you place your faith in God through Jesus Christ, that's the reliable place, okay? That's the beginning of, of credible, eternal faith. Dynamic faith, number one, is, is, is based upon the word of God, but that's not all. It is dynamic faith because it, it, it involves the whole person. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just lip service, Okay? Abraham and Rahab, so different people, and yet it affected their whole life, their decisions, and ultimately their destiny, and that's the kind of saving faith that, that God wants you to have. But there's a third part of this. Dynamic faith leads to action. It leads to steps forward of obedience, of honor, of holiness in our lives. And you can't muster that. You have to ask God, help me with this. Verse 20, again, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He said, I can give that to you. Now pick it up at verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. There's this living out piece. In the same way, he starts another illustration now, another story. And by the way, these, these stories really, you, we could take this and go back to Joshua and the and then Genesis and kind of this could be another message or two actually just from the richness of the illustrations 
But he mentions Rahab, who's a prostitute. She's considered righteous because she gave lodging to the spies. So she acted on her faith. And she, went, she sent them off in a different direction. Now verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's saying there is a continuity. This is a different kind of faith. It's life-changing faith. You don't have that. You may have dead faith, or you may have deceived faith. But you don't, certainly don't have dynamic faith. You see, faith in Jesus Christ that produces a life okay and that life is within you and that life will produce when it's dynamic faith that will produce a kind of work you don't you, you, in fact if, if you get these out of order go back to ephesians chapter 2 you get this out of order you'll always be working on your salvation all and that's counterproductive it's not going to work so this faith produces life and that life will produce works and you know what that works will produce? It'll produce glory to God, which then just circles back to God saying, ah, uh, you know what? I like this. And he, and he hands out more faith. And then, you know what? We have an influence, a place for influence and good in this world, but we get to, we get to live like the just, living by faith, step by step. Now, you know John 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But few people memorize verse 17, then verse 18, then even fewer. By the time you get to 21, very few even know the chapter gets that far. But whoever lives by the truth, you get this? That's life-changing faith. Comes into the light so that we may be plainly seen that they have done it, what has been done has been done in the sight of God. One scholar put it this way, it is faith alone that justifies, but justifying faith is never alone. I, I, uh, I love this, this comes from the, the founder of the school, I, I got to go to grad school, his, his name is Dwight Lyman Moody, he, he put it this way, he says, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Isn't that good? In other words, you should be a living epistle of what the scriptures say. Another one put it this way, the grace that does not change my life will not change my soul. If it doesn't change my life, it doesn't change my soul. So the pop quiz is this, do I have life-changing, saving faith? You say, well, you know what? I'm okay, but, and, and then you, you realize I've got a son or daughter, but then you say, oh, but yeah, I can hear the argue right now. It's so happened with me. I have a child, or I have a parent, or I have a relative, or I have a friend, a friend or a coworker, and, but I just know, I, I, I know they went to church a bunch. Do you know what that is? That's head knowledge. That's deceived faith. They're actually immune to it. Someone else will say, well, my teenage son went to camp, Christian camp. He prayed the prayer. Well, that's mental assent, and that's like the demons saying, we believe too. See, that's just cheap talk. You say, well, yeah, but he threw a stick in the fire. He really meant it. I'm happy that he did that. But is there really life change? And if there isn't, you know what you need to pray? God changed their heart. Because they might fool you, I fooled my parents. My kids are trying to fool me now. There are times I act like I'm being fooled, and times they do fool me. You could fool your parents, 
You can fool the people around you. And you know what? You might even fool yourself at times, but you're never going to fool God. Here it is from Psalm 139. This will be the closing prayer. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. Oh, you know everything about me, God. You're familiar with my ways. Before a word was in my tongue, Lord, you knew it completely. You hem in behind me and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. So where can I go from your spirit? How can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, I settle it in the far sea. Even if in your hand would guide me, your right hand would hold me fast, you're there. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. In other words, I'm not gonna fool you, God. Okay? So don't fool yourself. That's the message of James. It ends with this. Search me, oh God. Verse 23, if you're taking notes. Search me, God, and know my heart. Know my heart. And know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Amen? Let's bow together for prayer and as we pray, let's stand to our feet. The big question is for nobody else but just you. Do I really believe this? Do I really believe what Jesus says about himself? Do I really trust him? And don't, don't say, well, I, I'm going to work at that. No, don't, give that up. But if you're not seeing evidence of life, then there's probably pretty good evidence of death. So don't fool yourself. Just ask the Lord, Lord, right where you're standing, right there. Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. God, our Father in heaven, I, I need the Savior in my life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that, the scriptures say, and you will be saved. But ask him to change you through and through, every which way. And search us, O oh God, and know our hearts, and know any anxious, sinful, wayward way within us, and renew a right spirit within us, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. The church would agree and say amen. Amen. amen.